Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on Camden Chat, and in 2023, I'm back in the podcasting game. Whether you've been reading me forever or just found me today, I'm glad to have you here with me. Let's talk some Orioles. It's now April the 12th, 2023. The Orioles are 6-5 and five after winning their first two games of their series against the Oakland Athletics. They're already five games back of the still undefeated Tampa Bay Rays. Last night's game, it was a wild one. The Orioles came out on top by a 12-8 score. They had to come back from a deficit of 7-3. The game included Grayson Rodriguez having an unfortunate amount of trouble against what has been one of the worst offenses in the league so far. Ryan Mountcastle, of course, hit two home runs, two extremely clutch and crucial home runs, giving him 9 RBI in a single game, which tied the Orioles' team record that had previously been set by Jim Gentile all the way back in 1961, as well as Eddie Murray. Ryan Mountcastle now has five home runs so far this season and an OPS of 1.031 through the team's first 11 games. That's pretty darn good. The one thing, of course, that there is to talk about more than anything else over these first two athletics games is that the Orioles have unveiled what looks like Uh, For as long as it's going to stick around until maybe the fun police shows up and shuts it down, their new home run celebration for 2023, of course, last year brought us the home run chain. And this year, well, if you were watching on Monday's game, I'm sure you will not forget when you saw uh, after there was a home run in the dugout, someone had a, uh, a funnel, poured some water through the funnel, and the player that hit the home run chugged a little bit of water through the funnel If you experienced a certain uh, stereotypical part of the American college experience, you would recognize that as a beer bong. None of the broadcasters seem to want to refer to it that way. The the, the, the TV-friendly way that players were referring to it after Monday's game was the homer hose. That kind of stuck. People on social media, with less concern for being TV-friendly, called it the dong bong. To be honest with you, I'm not going to use that name on this podcast because I don't know what might uh, result in this podcast not being able to use the clean label. So I will stick with the Homer hose. Ben McDonald on Masson has also found another rhymer. He calls it the hydration station. And I think that's a delightful one, too. It's a bit more of a mouthful. Homer hose is fun. You can say that with a Baltimore accent like Homer hose, hon. You know, that's not a bad one at all. Um We'll see. Of course, it's not going to matter if the Orioles are not ultimately good or at least okay this season. You don't really get to enjoy 
these kinds of celebrations unless your team is at least okay. So it's whatever you think about it, it's it's just it's not going to matter if they aren't good. But uh, there have been a variety of opinions. Uh, some people seem to think it's sophomoric. Some people think it's delightful. Some people seem to think it's kind of forced. I think maybe it's a little bit of all three of those. It's definitely not as uh, organic to me as the home run chain was, where, of course, that was provided to the team through the um, kind of Orioles fan of the year who got honored at the home opener, fired up guy, and it just ended up being a thing for the rest of the season. And then the Orioles were delightfully good for the second half of the season. So that made it a fun part of that. Of course, the team has not given up on selling the replica home run necklaces uh, in the team store. I saw them at, when I was on the st in the stadium on Friday. We'll see if they quietly shuffle them off or hope that people, you know, keep buying them and wearing them, even though it's not the gimmick anymore. I don't know that they're going to be selling Homer hoses in the team store, but whatever. Whatever it is, for now, it's fun. They unveiled the Homer hose, and they've won the two games since uh, they've hit multiple home runs in, I think, in fact, three home runs in each of the two games. So including multiple that ascended Baltimore. It's hard not to be excited about that in the immediate aftermath. Of course, the Orioles are for now playing the Athletics, a team they really ought to take care of business against. So how much will the Homer hose appear on the road or against teams who are better than the Athletics? Well, as I've said too many times already on this podcast, I guess we'll see. For now, it's pretty fun. And uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that the players get into the celebration and that we have lots of chances to see whatever you want to call it. Of course, the, 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 the team official name so far, the, the relatively innocent Homer Hose. And for anybody who feels like they have to explain it to their kids, just tell them, don't drink alcohol until you're 20, until you're 21 years of age. It's really not that hard. So as far as the game, I think, honestly, a bigger story than the Homer Hose. And it's unfortunate because although it was a nice win, the thing that I wanted to be most excited about going into the game was Grayson Rodriguez making his first home start. Really not a great looking stat line when you get down to it. Partially that's because his ERA really got torpedoed when Austin Voth came in and allowed all of the inherited runners to score. Because yes, the Orioles brought in double-digit ERA Austin Voth to uh, close out a already bases loaded situation. Well, I, you know, it didn't work out, but the Orioles ended up winning. So I'll try not to get too mad about it. But Grayson Rodriguez, he really had a problem in the game with getting the two strikes and then giving up base hits. Through the first four innings, he had six different hits allowed where he had a two strike count and then gave up a hit. He really had a problem with putting guys away generally um, he threw nearly 100 pitches, and 25 of the pitches that he threw resulted in being foul balls. So nearly a quarter of every pitch that Grayson Rodriguez threw was a foul ball. You are always going to see that with the kind of pitch inefficient guys who just don't really have the put-away pitch, and they can't really seem to get the big out. They just keep getting elevated pitch counts. Maybe they get the out after a long at-bat. Maybe the batter reaches after a long at-bat. It's a familiar story for Orioles fans who've seen a number of young pitching uh, prospects come up to the big league team, and despite all the hype that ended up being put on them, they just really 
couldn't end up living up to that hype. I don't want that to happen with Grayson Rodriguez. I don't want him to go down the path of somebody like uh, the Jake Arrieta Orioles tenure, who was a guy who really had that kind of couldn't put the guys away problem. And I I don't know what the answer is uh, on mass and broadcast on Tuesday's game. Ben McDonald said it's probably mechanical. He's just not able to consistently locate his off-speed pitches that he needs to consistently put the guys away. Of course, it's not like he was incapable of getting the outs because Rodriguez still has the strikeout stuff and was still getting the strikeouts even as he was having problems putting batters away. In Tuesday's game, he struck out six batters in four and a third innings, which, you know, other than the fact that four and a third innings isn't very good, six strikeouts in that time is good. What he just needs to be able to do is get a more pitch efficient mix. However, he needs to be able to do that. It seems like it's going to be getting better off speeds that go from strike to ball and can entice batters to swing at them, make either a swing and a miss, which he, again, he had many swing and misses over the course of Tuesday's game, but he couldn't really get them to put the ball in play and get the outs that he needed them to get once he had the easy two strike count. I still think that the answer is going to be that Rodriguez needs to work on this at the big league level. I don't think he's got anything left to learn at the minors um, as far as getting out big league batters, because if he goes down to Norfolk, he's not going to be facing the big league hitters. So he's not going to necessarily be able to form the good habits that he's going to need. We'll see what ends up happening. The Orioles did say before Tuesday's game that Kyle Bradish is going to make a rehab start in the minors on Friday. That is going to leave him in line, assuming all goes well, to come back when his uh, minimum 15 days on the injured list are over with. So what's going to happen then? I guess it depends what the Orioles think about who's the worst guy in the rotation. Unfortunately, there are a few choices so far who you could uh, get out of the rotation. Dean Kramer has not looked well so far either. Neither has new acquisition Cole Irvin. So we'll see what happens. I think if it was up to me, I would kick maybe Dean Kramer temporarily into long relief and see if he can work out whatever's going wrong with him. Boston Voth can get sent to the great GFA in the sky and let Rodriguez keep working it out in the minors. Uh, excuse me, in the Major League rotation. As I'm sitting here recording this, I have not seen any uh, announcement about anything changing for Rodriguez's status. He would be on turn to make one more start before the Bradish uh, injured list period is up, and that would be on Sunday. Hopefully that's not going to change. Uh, I, I don't like to look stupid, but I do need to record this podcast and then go to bed. So we'll see what ends up happening there as well. Um, Rodriguez, I just, I want him to be good. I really want him to be good. I think he has shown flashes of that over his first two starts, even though the results are not as great as they could be. So we'll see. Let's see him get one more start on Sunday. That's going to be against the White Sox. Hopefully he can have a more complete start and there won't be much of a case to send him back down to the minors. But, you know, if he stinks uh, on Sunday, then as much as I won't like it, it'll be hard to kind of to complain about that. Um, hopefully, of course, Kramer and Irvin have better starts against the athletics for their next two games. And that makes it a tougher choice as well. So we'll see. That's to be determined over the next couple days here. I will be right back after a brief message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. 
So moving on, our prospect of the day for this episode, fittingly, the number two prospect in the system on my composite top 20 Orioles prospects list for the season, made up of prospect lists from five different publications. Uh, the number two guy, it's Grayson Rodriguez. So we can talk about him some more. Grayson, unlike Gunnar Henderson, he was not the unanimous number two prospect. At Fangraphs, they actually dipped him below the their number two, Jackson Holiday. In part, that was because the Fangraphs spring scouting report, they really seem to have made assumptions about Grayson Rodriguez's velocity based on some September starts last year that... I don't think have been borne out with how 2023 Grayson Rodriguez has looked, either in spring training or the regular season. I think whatever's going on with him, you cannot say, okay, his velocity is not the same after the lat injury that he suffered last season. It sure looks like he is pitching with nearly the same velocity that made him such an exciting prospect, a top 10 prospect on nearly every prospect list going into last season. And I think even this season, except for fan graphs, he was in the top 10 as well. So let's rewind a little bit. Grayson Rodriguez, originally drafted by the Orioles, number 11 overall in the 2018 draft. That was the final first round pick made by the Dan Duquette regime. Uh, Rodriguez was really not a hyped prospect consistently in his draft spring. So when he was picked, I remember this, I had this concern a little bit myself. I don't want to only act like I'm making fun of other people, but there were people who had this reaction stronger than me. There were some people that seemed to be concerned that the pick of Grayson Rodriguez, who was at that time something of a less heralded guy, was going to end up being Matt Hobgood 2.0, rather infamous bust from the aughts of the Orioles. The Orioles, when they picked Rodriguez, they passed on guys who were higher rated uh, at the time. Fellow high school draft picks, uh, pitching draft picks that year included Matthew Liberatore as well as Cole Wynn. Matthew Liberatore was the number four draft prospect by MLB Pipeline going into that draft. Cole Wynn was number nine. So the Orioles, they ignored both of those guys at the time to make the pick of Grayson Rodriguez. The first sign that it was not a Hobgood 2.0 is the Orioles actually did not give an underslot bonus to Rodriguez. They gave him a $4.3 million bonus, right about the slot value for their number 11 pick, which ended up being higher than those two other players that I named. So Rodriguez, although he was the number 22 prospect in MLB Pipeline's ranking, part of that, I think, was because he ended up being what is known in the draft world as a helium guy, which helium you know, when you have helium, you rise. And the helium guys tend to be late risers. They maybe don't come into there for a high school player. He doesn't come into his senior season having built up hype already, but he builds the steam through his senior season. And that's ended, what ended up happening with Rodriguez. He was looking better in the later part of his senior season than in the beginning. And there were teams, including the Orioles, who believed that the, the improvement that he had shown throughout his senior season made him a mid-first-round caliber player. And so Duquette drafted him. And thankfully, I think, uh, it ended up being the Mike Elias front office and player development program that was able to mostly get their hands on Grayson Rodriguez starting in the 2019 season. That ended up turning Rodriguez first into a top 50 prospect and eventually a kind of consensus top 10 prospect in all of baseball, including before this season, other than the one outlier list on fan graphs. In the 2021 season, Grayson Rodriguez, he struck out 161 batters in 103 innings between high A and double A levels. That's a nearly, he had a nearly six strikeout per walk ratio 
That's an elite. That's just a great ratio for a starting pitcher. In the 2022 season, it wasn't quite as good of a strikeout-to-walk ratio, but still pretty darn good, and he struck out 109 batters in 75 and two-thirds innings. Of course, the 2022 season, lamentably, was interrupted by the lat injury that kept him from what really felt to me like was going to be an inevitable big league debut in June. He got knocked off course for that. Didn't end up coming along in September either. So that really was unfortunate. Rodriguez, well, his first two outings at the big league level have been unfortunate too. We're still waiting to see the results come into play. There's one thing, there's a new metric. There's, Of course, there's always new metrics, but there's one being put out on a number of the advanced stats websites, including Fangraphs, and I've also seen it mentioned um, on The Athletic. It's it's using a new set of pitching data, using all the, tra- uh, the Hawkeye tracking of pitches and all this sorts of stuff. And it's co- the, the, da- the, uh, the stat is called Stuff Plus. And what is Stuff Plus? Okay, according to a Fangraphs explainer, it's largely meant to categorize the physical characteristics of a pitcher's pitches, including things like the release point, velocity, vertical and horizontal movement, and spin rate. And if you look at all of these things there, it turns out that elite pitchers and very good pitchers tend to have, tend to fit into similar buckets and the way that their their characteristics are. And Grayson Rodriguez, although he does not have the great results in his first two results, his stuff plus it was one of the top 20 among MLB pitchers, which I believe that's based on spring training pitches as well as some minor league data from last year. So that's really good. You want to be at, you know, if he turns out to be a top 20 pitcher in Major League Baseball, we're all going to be dancing for joy. It's going to be great. Just absolutely amazing. That's what we all want to see. It's what all the hype was. And, you know, the uh, the signs are there. He's made some really great pitches. He just hasn't consistently made the good pitches to get out first the Texas lineup and then the Oakland lineup. And, of course, Oakland's lineup, they really have not been very good so far. So it was kind of discouraging to see Rodriguez not even be able to get through five innings against those guys. What we can hope is it's going to be a learning lesson and not to beat a dead horse, but I just, I really think that he needs to make those lessons at the MLB level and not still in the minors. So I would like to know what you think about Rodriguez. And you can email me your thoughts at the CamdenCast, excuse me, at CamdenCastPod at gmail.com. I will try my best to read at least one email every episode. So do you think Rodriguez should stay in the rotation when Bradish comes back? you think he needs to get sent back down to the minors? Do you uh, have the my dad perspective of go back to the old days, like breaking in Jim Palmer in the bullpen? And do you think that's what should be done with Grayson Rodriguez? I don't think there's a right answer. Well, the right answer is whatever works, but schmoes like us have no way to know what the right answer is. We can just guess and uh, hope that our answer ends up being what the Orioles do, and then that what the Orioles do turns out to work out well. Again, I guess we're going to see. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward, fingers crossed, to seeing Rodriguez on Sunday, and I really hope that he can show something um, better than he's shown through two games. But one, so moving on to our one last thing, a little quick summary. I've been talking over the course of this regular season podcast about win probability added and players who have been the most clutch and least clutch in a specific game. So Tuesday's game, the biggest single play in the game was Austin Voth giving up the three-run home run to Shea Langoliers. That kicked a minus 23.9% percent 
chance for the Orioles to win the game because it gave the Oakland Athletics a 7-3 lead in the fifth inning. The Orioles, of course, thankfully were able to overcome Voth's negative contribution to the game, in large part thanks to the biggest overall contributor, Ryan Mountcastle, who moved the needle plus 46.7% towards an Orioles victory. Mountcastle with his two home runs, including the Grand Slam. That was pretty freaking good. Honorable mention, however, to Austin Hayes, who himself, with four hits, including a home run, uh, gave a plus 45% chance of victory to the Orioles. So he doesn't get the most clutch this time, but still pretty darn clutch. Keeping a running tally, Ryan Mountcastle has now been most clutch two times in wins. Cole Irvin has been least clutch two times in losses. I, I'm really hoping that Irvin can stop doing that. He he hasn't pitched well yet so far, so we'll see. Mountcastle is the only repeat most clutch winner, and Irvin is the only repeat most clutch loser. I will just briefly revisit that each uh, episode here and keep track of how things are going this season. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating or review on whatever service you like to listen to podcasts. You can search for Cast on most modern podcasting platforms, including, but not limited to, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and more. If it's missing on your platform, please email me and let me know. I will be happy to get it on there. I would love for people to be able to find this wherever they get podcasts. New episodes will come out as often as life allows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. At this moment, no obstacles between me and a Friday morning podcast, so I will be happy to talk to you then. Hopefully, we've got two more good Orioles games against the Athletics to talk about at that time. If you want to find me on Twitter in between podcasts, be sure to tweet me at Camden Chat. There is a feed for this podcast. It's not fully operational yet, but you can follow at Camden Cast. And as the season goes along, I'll be doing a little bit more on that podcast. Although, to be very honest with you, I don't think I'm a person who's cut out to run two Twitter feeds at once, but I'll do my best. So that's all I have got for today. The Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.